Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week. Hump Day with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. What's up, guys? Hey, Borky. What's up? How's your Monday? Uh, it's not Monday, it's Wednesday. It How's not your Wednesday? Monday. Wednesday is awesome because I did the very smart person thing and bought tickets to go see the Pelicans play yesterday. And today they announced his return date which is before the game. The prices have doubled uh, for the seats that I bought, uh, so I'm a very smart person, and I get to go see Zion Williamson play the Boston Celtics. So a really good day for me. So will you see him play in his first game back? It will not be his first game back. So he will come back uh, tentatively a week from today against the Spurs. And, of course, uh, they have a, a national TV game Saturday against the Clippers, which would have been a perfect time to bring an obviously healthy Zion back. Instead, they're going to do it on a local TV game against the Bad Spurs on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, Just perfect how they're setting that up. But they'll play the Spurs that Wednesday, and then they'll have a game Friday, and then the Celtics Sunday. So I'll see his third game back. So, are you going to go to the game, or are you now going to cash in in uh, a little bit of uh, supply and demand on the tickets? Uh, I'm going to go. I cannot go. No, that's cool. You've been looking forward to this for a while, haven't you? Man, I'm thrilled. Especially And you were going to go whether he came back or not. Right. Yeah, that that was the plan the whole time was to go down for this game in particular for, I mean, we've been planning this for a couple months, and it just happened to work out that I bought the tickets yesterday and they get the announcement today. I'm a very smart guy. So what you paid for the tickets... You said doubled? Yeah, the sa- I looked at the same section, not exactly the same row, but the exactly double the price I paid. There you go. There you go. Hey, Dan, have you done anything to double your money today? <laughs> no, I have not. I, I have, I have, uh, I have not invested wisely today. I guess. Did Did you look at to see if you could double your money on your wrestling tickets a couple of weeks ago? No, I did not. I never never occurred to me. I, I wanted to go. Okay, there you go. How uh, how's your Wednesday? It's been good so far. Been a, you saw a basketball very, win last night. Quiet. I did, much to my surprise, but not to Richard Cross's. I told you yesterday it was coming. You and I, you were not I, wrong, when, my friend. Look, when people just people kinda, get on you, they say you're so negative about Mississippi State. Look at you. No, it's not not. Yeah, well, whatever. I mean, that's an entirely different conversation. <laughs> but when I was looking at the lines yesterday, you know, we were thinking about the Pearl River Resort pick of the day and all that, and I saw two and a half. I was like, what? It was like, I mean, we're not usually just overly serious when we're making our picks, but sometimes you see something 
Like on that on that random day, like yesterday, when I go, I love this game. Like I'm serious about that. That was it. It, it felt like candy from a baby last night. Just saying, just coming off that, you know, watching that game now, all I want to know is how how they not only how they beat Florida, but how they scored 91 points doing it. They made shots. I guess. I mean, I'm not being flippant when I say that. I mean, that's the difference. I mean, you you make shots, you look like a good basketball team. You don't make shots, you look like a terrible team. They scored 20 in the first half of that game last night, and Mississippi State was up. They doubled them up in the first half, right? It was 40 to 20 at the break. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a good win for Mississippi in, uh, State conference last night. play by Howland. Yeah. Um, is there an element of if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody there to hear it, does it make a sound that goes along with that? Uh, a little bit. The crowd wasn't wasn't great, obviously, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. We'll see what this weekend did, brings. Did students show up? Uh, the, the lower half of the student section was, was pretty full. Yeah. Okay. Uh, fair enough. Ole Miss went on the road to Gainesville last night, and when the news came out that um, Brian Tyree was not going to play on top of the news that Hadim C. did not even make the trip, it felt like it was going to be an awfully tall hill to climb last night. I, I guess in fairness, Ole Miss did play hard in that game. Um, they lose by 16. 71-55 was the final. I thought it could have been a lot worse than that, to be perfectly honest with you. Do they get a little bit of credit, hey, Dad, for, I'm sorry, Rippy, for kind of hanging around in that game? Hey, Dad, were you glued to this one? I mean, they led at one point, right? They did. No, yeah, they they sort of, sort of. They figured some, I thought there were a couple positives despite the bad loss because of the way Blake Henson and K.J. Buffin played. Buffin had 20, got to the free throw line 11 times. Blake Henson was kind of a very short spurt for him. Made a couple early threes at 13 of his 16 in the first half. So those guys making shots is a good sign, but then at the same time, they're shorthanded. They still don't rebound. They don't have any presence on the offensive glass, and Florida drove it right at them repeatedly. So, you know, I guess good for them to get a couple guys playing well. They didn't really have any other choice but to play them a bunch of minutes at the same time. But aside from that, defensively, still kind of a mess on the interior. But they didn't have a DMC. Can they parlay into that? of Buffin and Henson being on the floor and being effective at the same time into anything going forward? I don't They've know. got to, don't they? I don't got to try? I don't know the answer to that because you still are a game for removed from Kermit Davis saying he can't play them at the same time. Now, of course, the other night, he didn't have, I mean, last night he didn't have any choice, but I don't know. I still think there's too many holes for this team to fill, but you know, I don't think they're as bad as an offensive team as they've been playing, but, you know, Particularly when C's not out there, they struggle to defend the interior, and then they struggle to have, you know, it didn't necessarily happen last night, but they struggle to defend the other team's best player. I think that's where they miss Luis Rodriguez, where it's like, doesn't really matter what you do on the offensive end tonight. I need you to hold this guy under 20. That hasn't been happening. Hey, Dad, Ole Miss's next game is against LSU, and I've seen LSU in person a couple of times this year. I know you watched them against Mississippi State on, on Saturday night. And this is a very different LSU team than a year ago. I don't know that they've got – I mean, Emmett Williams is pretty good inside. They don't necessarily have that massive inside presence. Certainly don't have a Kerry Blackshear like Florida had uh, last night. When you watched LSU on Saturday, what was your takeaway? That they're good but not great. 
that they're, they're a good team. I won't be totally surprised if they find their way into the NCAA tournament, but I don't, I don't see them as a team that could do any real postseason damage. But playing against a team like Ole Miss that's struggling right now, where, where is that game? Is it in Oxford or in Baton Rouge? Yeah, it's in Oxford. Uh, I mean, that, that helps, obviously, but it's going to take a, a, a big effort from Ole Miss to beat LSU. I mean, Skyler Mays is the best player on LSU's team. He's just not dynamic. And Javante right, Smart he's a good player. is not... He, yeah, he's a really good player, and he's been a good player for a long time. He leads them in scoring. I think he leads them in rebounding as well. But he's not a take-over-the-game kind of guy for the most part. I mean, he hits the game winner against Mississippi State on Saturday, but that was the first shot that he had made in the entire second half. Like He had a couple of free throws. I think he had eight in the first half, um, but certainly stepped up and made a, uh, a big shot at the uh, at the end. So what's coming up with you this afternoon? The... NFL had big news yesterday in terms of a player stepping down. A 28-year-old linebacker in the absolute prime of his career has said, no more. I don't really want to quit, but I think it's the right decision for me. That is Luke Keekley, who, Forky, you follow the Panthers. You've been a big Luke Keekley fan for a long time. It's kind of like a whole new world in the NFL. And in a lot of ways, Patrick Willis kind of made it okay for guys to say, I'm going to leave the game. I've made enough money, and I'm going to step away, and I'm still going to have my health. Yeah. In many ways, this is just like Andrew Luck. I think they're really comparable with maybe not the best linebacker in the NFL, although you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that's better than him. Same thing with Andrew Luck. You know, maybe not the best quarterback in the NFL, but talent-wise, there's not a whole lot better stepping away at a really odd time. And he was so good this year as well. He said in the the video that released that announcement last night that he doesn't feel like he can play as strong and fast and physical anymore. And I kept thinking, I watched you play on a bad team, and you looked like you were really strong and fast and physical, but... um, I guess good on him for making an obviously difficult decision. In the video, I mean, he he teared up multiple times, said he doesn't want to stop playing, but it's a decision he has to make. And I think you're going to continue to see this becoming the norm. Guys go in, they make enough money, they don't want to hurt their bodies anymore. He, I mean, he's a really smart guy, probably has some other dreams he wants to try to accomplish. And the six- or seven-year career that he had, his accolades... I mean, you don't get much better than what he did. Seems like it's probably. I'm just speculating here. But it seems like it seems somewhat he- like probably head injury. Oh, it's absolutely. Had, yeah. well, that's what I was going to say. Two I mean, years I, ago, I, he had a concussion that caused him to get carted off the field. It was that severe. Because yeah. the the full speed play fast, full speed thing. Like he's still clearly in peak physical health. It's just. Yeah, I mean the 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 thing is, and I don't mean this is a negative at all. I think it's the case with Patrick Willis when he stepped away. And I think it's with Luke Keekley now, especially at that position, they are scared of what could potentially happen to them by continuing to play, you know, the most violent game that's out there. We got a bunch to get to with you this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started. Ceasefire text line is open. 601-879-4395. That's the number for the Ceasefire text line. You can jump in and let your voice be heard just like that. Ceasefire text line again 601-879-4395. Ceasefire 
customer inspired. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. A uh, a question right out of the gate. Uh, hey, Dad, we'll see if you can uh, handle this one. Has Mississippi State hired their defensive coordinator yet? No, they have not. Uh, still moving in that direction. Uh, still interviews happening. Names popping up. Uh, the, one of the the, hot, the hotter two names, I would guess, would be Jay Bateman, who is the defensive coordinator at North Carolina, and Ryan Walters, who was defensive coordinator uh, at Missouri under Barry Odom, and he was retained by uh, by Eli Drinkwitz uh, as part of the new staff as well. Jay Bateman was at Army the year before, right? He was um, he was I believe that's Jeff correct, yeah. Munkin's defensive coordinator at Army, and then got the North Carolina job when Mac Brown came in, right? I believe that is correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be an interesting uh, call if that's the route that uh, they go. Some other things we're going to get into this afternoon. Kylan Hill and Aaron Thompson have both teased that their decisions are coming as far as whether or not they're going to test the NFL draft waters or come back to Mississippi State. That defensive coordinator search continues to roll. Uh, we'll see if there's any more information that comes up along the way. A little bit of a college football news dump coming for you, including guys that have made their draft declarations and a little bit of a surprising new head coaching hire. Ryan Brown will join us from Jocks in Birmingham on the Farm Bureau phone line and a whole lot more. But let's start with basketball from last night in Starkville. Mississippi State, really from the opening tip, dominated in a win against Missouri. 72-45 to was the final. Bulldogs led 40-20 to at the half. They outscored Missouri 32-25 to in the second half. At one point led the game by 31. Did it get to 31? Is that right? I think it got to 30? 34 at one point. But I, okay, maybe yeah. it was 34. I think it was 6. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't have the I don't have the box score right here in front of me, but the, the state was never. Let's put it this way: state was on cruise control basically from the ten minute mark of the first half on. Yeah, uh, in terms of scoring, Mississippi State got twenty three points and ten rebounds, so a double double from Reggie Perry. Eleven points from Nick Weatherspoon. He also had four assists, turned it over four times, had one steal in the game. Um, nine points from Robert Woodard the second, and fifteen points from Tyson Carter. Did not start in the game last night. Played twenty-seven minutes. He was one of four from behind the arc, but hit six of twelve shots, two of two at the free throw line, seven assists, and three steals. We've talked a good bit about Tyson Carter over the last couple of weeks. He's been in a slump shooting the ball. Hasn't been scoring. Hasn't been terribly productive. He was extremely productive last night. Yeah, uh, good night for him. Uh, it was his birthday. Uh, he passed his father on the all-time scoring list here at Mississippi State. He and his dad are the only two are the only father-son duo to be thousand-point scorers in the SEC. So a little historical moment there. But mm-hmm. the decision to pull him off the be- put him off the bench was a, was a good one. It worked out for Mississippi State. Um, and and Carter, you know, he's a good shooter. You know, he, you knew he was going to come out of this slump eventually. So I don't know how much the decision to move him to the bench helped. But it didn't hurt, obviously. He was able to, to play a lot better. Shot 50% from the field. And the, the seven assists and three steals to, to only one turnover. You know, when you, when you mentioned Nick Weatherspoon having four turnovers, Tyson's ability to, to move over and slide over to the point at some points when, when Nick was off what was big for Mississippi State last night. Missouri had only one player that scored in double figures. That was Kobe Brown. He had 14 points in the game last night, so he was the only starter and only player. They also had uh, nine points from uh, Pickett. 
you know, you, you said it. Missouri didn't shoot the ball well last night. 35% from the game, 20% from behind the arc. They only got to the free throw 10 times in the ballgame. Mississippi State didn't get to the free throw much, uh, free throw line much either. Um, seven free throw attempts. They made all seven of them. So that's good. Perfect, uh, in terms of shooting free throws. Ten offensive rebounds. They win the rebounding advantage decidedly. I mean, just really outmanned Missouri at every position on the floor from the opening tip until the final horn. Yeah, easily their best game in conference play and one of their best games of the season. You mentioned the free throws. It's, it's sort of interesting considering State only shot 13 three-pointers. They were 25 of 42 from inside the, the arc. You would think that would lead to a lot of free throws, especially they had some transition uh, plays. You know, they, they forced the turnovers, so they had some fast-break opportunities, but not a lot of fouls in this game for whatever reason. Uh, and at least when State did get there, like you mentioned, 7-7, seven to seven, uh, they took advantage of that. But this was as good a game as Mississippi State could have possibly uh, been capable of playing. Uh, they shot the ball well. They defended well. Everything went in their favor. I think part of it, obviously, is because uh, Missouri is not that great. But if State can get that kind of effort, especially on the defensive end, uh, each and every night, they're going to have an opportunity to, to win their way back into postseason contention. Hey, Dad, we, we've talked about pace of play. And Richard Williams even said to us last week when we talked with him, look, Mississippi State would, would like to play fast. You know, They would like to take missed shots and turn them into transition points. I know they didn't do it exclusively last night. But there were a couple of times, especially when they were kind of really pulling away in the second half, where I thought, yeah, that, 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 that's it. That's what I'm talking about. Athletically... Mm-hmm. You're superior to most of the teams you play. Use that to your advantage. And there were some moments where it looked really, really good going fast in transition. Yeah, I thought I thought State, you know, when they were able to take advantage of turnovers or, or miss buckets and, and get out there in transition, State was very good. And, and you're right. I mean, guys like Perry, Weatherspoon, Woodard, even Carter are natural finishers in transition. They're guys who can get to the rim. They're explosive that you should be trying to take advantage of that. So, yeah, I thought everything – like I said, everything sort of came up Mississippi State's way last night. And, you know, you mentioned Reggie Perry, 23 points, 10 rebounds. That's his ninth double-double of the season. He's still averaging a double-double uh, for the season. He he was just in complete control last night. Hit a couple of three-pointers, which I'm, you know, I feel like that's sort of, you know, pick your poison. I don't think you want him taking a lot of three-pointers, but if he's going to take them and he's hitting them, you can't really say very much to him. Um, but 9 of 13 from the field overall – just one of his better nights at Mississippi State. That if that team, like I said, if they can look like that in these next two games at home, they can get back to five hundred, and then you can start talking about them possibly playing their way up the net rankings and into an at-large berth. So the question for me is: Is last night's performance one that they can replicate? Because you know the opponent has something to do with it. They're going to play a pretty athletic and a pretty talented Georgia team on Saturday that obviously is is led by Anthony Edwards, but Rayshon Hammonds can be a little bit of a problem. Uh, they've got a uh, a true freshman point guard and Xavier Wheeler that is the smallest guy on the floor most of the time, but has a knack for kind of working his way through traffic and getting to the rim. Uh, Tom Crean is going to play an aggressive style on both ends of the floor can Mississippi State replicate what they did and play an efficient brand of basketball and not have this be a one-off 
but something where they turn it into some momentum because it's a three-game homestand, which is kind of rare. You, you don't see that very often once you get into conference play. Yeah. It's what you've got right now. So Missouri last night, Georgia on Saturday, and then Arkansas in the midweek next week. What's the likelihood of being able to build on last night versus just having that be a one-off, and then you come back and you go, well, I didn't play with great effort and didn't play all that smart, and that's the team that we had seen. Yeah, I really sometimes I feel like it's a Jekyll and Hyde thing with Mississippi State. You know, I think they're capable of playing like that every night. They certainly have, like you, we've been saying, the athletes to to do to do that on the defensive end. They are they're all you know superior superior athletically. They're long. They can get it. You know, cover lanes. They can. They're they're tough in the paint. They can do it. They can replicate this effort. I don't know if they will because that's been their problem all year long. So. If they do replicate that effort, they're going. They're, they can beat Georgia. They probably will beat Georgia, and then they'll put themselves in, in the, to great shape for that final game of the homestand. But if they come out like they did against you know Alabama, against Auburn, you know after the first ten minutes of that game, then they're probably going to lose. So I, I get the feeling we're going to be playing this game with MSU a lot this year. There's going to be some games where we scratch our heads and say what what the heck happened there, and there's going to be some games where, where we scratch our heads and go why can't they play like that all the time? Given the way the schedule shakes out. You know, if you if you look at Mississippi State's schedule in terms of like back to back games or three game stretches, there's not a three game stretch where you go, ooh, they've got to go to Kentucky and then they host Auburn and then they go to, you know, wh- whoever. Uh, you Tennessee. know, it's a uh, Tennessee. Although I don't know how good I think Tennessee is anymore without Lamonte Turner. So so you don't have that stretch. These next two games, does the story of, of Mississippi State's season get written over the next nine days with Georgia and Arkansas both at home on the heels of the win against Missouri? Probably so. If they're 3-3 three and three after those next two home games, you, you feel like you've gotten a little bit of a restart heading to Oklahoma. But if you're 2-4 and four or 1-5, and five, it, it's probably done and dusted as far as the NCAA tournament goes. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I mean, I don't think any of us are ready to start talking about Mississippi State as being an NCAA tournament team right now. But if you win the next two, that becomes a real conversation. You lose the next two, mm, probably not. Sports Talk Mississippi. Conference championship games happening this weekend. Titans Chiefs played the early game, relatively early, 205 on CBS. And then you get the Packers and the 49ers. That's the 540 game on Fox. Kansas City, a seven and a half point favorite over the Titans. San Francisco is a seven and a half point favorite over the Packers. We'll get into those games uh, more tomorrow and Friday as we get closer to the weekend. Are those, are those fun matchups? I mean, there's local interest in Titans. Have the Titans done enough to kind of captivate the nation's interest that people are going to be really excited about Titans Chiefs? I mean, it's the best quarterback in the NFL against the best running back in the NFL. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then Packers-Niners feels like a throwback. I mean, hey, that feels like, uh, what, early 90s? Mid-90s. I think about Terrell Owens catching that ridiculous pass against uh, Brett Favre's Packers in in, in San Francisco. Yeah, we're gonna get Steve bludgeoned Young over the head with. with uh, do you know Aaron Rodgers from the Bay Area and the Niners could have drafted him? 
Could have drafted him number one. People forget he is from California. Played at Cal after junior college, right? He did. There you go. So, hoops last night for Ole Miss. 71-55 was the final Florida one over Ole Miss in Gainesville. Um, You knew it was going to be tough for the Rebels last night. Hadim C. did not make the trip, and then it was announced that uh, Bree and Tyree, right before tip-off, was not going to play because of a back contusion. He had a spill in practice on Monday and went through, tried to go through kind of pregame warm-ups, couldn't go and sat on the end of the bench. In a uh, in a jogging suit, uh, so that made it tough. W- would that have made a difference for Ole Miss last night? Having Bree and Tyree, yeah, yeah, it's the lean- team's leading score. No, I understand that. Thank you. I'm talking about in terms of the outcome. <laughs> would the outcome have been different if Bree and Tyree had played last night? Oh, I... would you have gotten the same level of production from Henson and Buffin if Tyree had been on the floor? Interesting question. I guess it's harder to... Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> you phrased this, would it made a difference? Like, of course. I don't know. Ole Miss got beat up so bad Jeez. on the interior. I think Florida had 44 points in the paint, shot 54% from the field. I mean, you look at their guards' field goal percentage, they were getting to the rim easily. They put the pushed the ball inside. Without seeing there, Ole Miss really had no answer. So... Maybe Tyree gets hot and loses his mind. Maybe it's a kind of a back-and-forth game down the stretch, but... Florida got whatever it wanted on the interior to the point that I'm not sure it would have, but they certainly would have had a better chance because after Blake Henson made some shots early, Ole Miss couldn't score. I mean, that what were they, 18-45 from the field? You know, Henson made a couple early triples that were one was contested, one was fairly open, but after that, I mean, I think they were seven of 24 in the second half. Like, just not much there. 18 of 45 from the field, 3 of 16 from behind the arc. Almost did have a good night at the free throw line, 16 of 20. And you're talking about 1 of 14 there for probably the last 35-ish minutes of the game because Henson made two really quickly. Yuck. 20 points and 5 rebounds for K.J. Buffin. Best game he's played since when? Like week one of the season? The game against Penn State? the comeback where you had the big defensive play? It's hard to remember, but somewhere in that range, to your point, it's been a while. But, yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the season, they played through him a lot in the high post, and they haven't done a whole lot of that lately. A lot of that's because teams don't really need to zone Ole Miss, and so it's a little bit harder to do. He's had some foul trouble, struggled some. But, yeah, I mean, it, that that was certainly a good sign for them if you're trying to draw some sort of silver lining out of this. Other than that, they they got cut up pretty good defensively. 16 points, 11 rebounds for Blake Henson. He played 38 of the 40 minutes in the game last night and had only two fouls. So that was a positive for Ole Miss as well. He was 6 of 14 shooting. After that, though... Left two on the table, though. You got four to spend. Yeah. Um, five points for Devontae Schuler. Five points for Austin Crowley. Franco Miller got the start last night, played 16 minutes, did not score. Uh, Sammy Hunter, who you needed to try and pick up the slack for Hadim C not being in there, played 18 minutes and scored three points. He's got a good skill set. I think it's just mental with him right now. He doesn't play with very much confidence. Is Devontae Shuler the, the I don't know, biggest area of concern may not be the right way to describe it, but is that the biggest disappointment this year for Ole Miss, his play? Maybe, but... 
I mean, you take him off the floor and the ball's sticking in one guy's hands for about 20, 20 seconds on a given possession. So he does things that don't necessarily show up and score. But like, at what point in his career has he been a, like a volume scorer? That's a good point. So, but they did. But to your point, they did need like they did need a scoring boost from him. You saw it some early in the year when they were playing inferior competition, and it hasn't really happened since. Like, do they need more than three points on? And that's happened quite a few times this year from him on a given night. Absolutely. But is he ever going to be a fifteen point a game guy? Probably not. Kerry Blackshear had thirteen points and nine rebounds for Florida. Um, Keontae Johnson, 15 points and 6 rebounds. It's almost like somebody told you that he's really important to uh, Florida success. I've had people just really look at me sideways when I say that about uh, Keontae Johnson. I just think he's the most important player on their team. Uh, Nimhard had 6 assists to go with 10 points in the game. Uh, Noah Locke has made multiple 3-pointers in 12 consecutive games for Florida. He hit two, uh, two threes in the game. And after that, nobody really significant off the bench. Florida did not shoot the ball well from three. They were only three of 13, so Ole Miss three of 16, Florida three of 13. Uh, They didn't have to shoot very many. They didn't. They shot 54% from the field, and they just got a bunch of really high-percentage looks inside. There was no, to speak of, ability to stop them when they got the ball inside for Ole Miss. No, but, I mean, it's because of who's not out there. They had to play Carlos Curry 17 minutes last night. That yep. was the first time he's played double-digit minutes once this year, and that was November 15th, so been a minute. And, like, the other last four times he's participated in a game, it's been one minute, two minutes, two minutes, sometimes three if they're feeling frisky. Not very much uh, uh, contribution or playing time for Mr. Curry so far. So Florida 3-1 and one now in conference play. Ole Miss starts league play 0-3, and 9-7 and seven overall. Is there anything that Ole Miss can do – to when I say right the ship, I, I'm not talking about turn it around and win ten of the next fifteen in league play. But is there a route to them avoiding going four and fourteen in the SEC? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think they're as bad of an offensive team as they've been playing. You know, getting Bryce Williams back healthy certainly helps. But the game you get him back, you lose two of your five starters. So I think that that'll help. And if they play. You know, better offensively. They're a good enough defensive team to win some games. I think Ken Palm has them winning three games the rest of the way. I don't think that'll necessarily happen. I think it'll be a little bit better than that. But, th- yeah, certainly they can be better than this. Now, NCAA tournament, no. But there's also some, like, they don't really mesh very well together. Like, there's some chemistry issues. I think they lack a little bit of a vocal leader, which with two senior guards, or a senior guard and a junior guard, rather, is a little bit surprising but it's just not really happening for them. But I, I think they are more talented than they're playing right now. Let, let's not lose sight of the fact with Ole Miss, because people thought this was going to be a pretty good team coming into the year, that they lost a player who's now starting in the NBA. He's not starting every night, but has started games in the NBA and has played exceptionally well. Now, everybody, I think, that follows the NBA will admit that what Terrence Davis has done for the Raptors has been a surprise. Nobody really saw it coming. But you had that on your team a year ago, and he had the ability to change the game, not just on the offensive end, but on the defensive end. Took pressure off the other two guys, too, in the backcourt. The other piece, it felt like that team last year completely bought in to what Kermit Davis wanted them to do. 
I'm not sure this team's bought into playing Kermit Davis's style. Is that fair? Probably somewhat, but also the style that Kermit's trying to play offensively right now, I'm not sure is necessarily best suited to fit them. Okay. What would work better for them? A little more quick hitters to try to get dudes going downhill. They struggle to get to the rim off the bounce. Brian can, but they settle a lot. Their shot selection's not great. A lot of continuation type stuff to whereas I wonder if at some point they'll just kind of accept the fact that, that maybe that's not working as much. I'm not second-guessing Kermit Davis. That dude knows a thousand times more basketball. I'm just making an observation to where they try to get the ball in the hands of the shot makers. They do have quicker rather than, you know, continuity offense, I guess. You know, kind of the inverse of what we were talking about with Mississippi State schedule, there's not a stretch of games where it's two or three in a row and you go like, how are you going to get through that three-game stretch? You look at what's ahead for Ole Miss, given some of the limitations that they've got, LSU here in Oxford on Saturday, road trip to Knoxville midweek, road trip to Georgia next weekend, Auburn at home, who's fourth in the country, and then a return trip to Baton Rouge to take on LSU on February 1st. That is a difficult stretch. And it's hard to kind of look in that and circle one or two or three games and go, oh yeah, this is the one where you feel really good about their chances. Other than the fact that they never lose to Auburn. I mean, the chance to, well, I mean, a little different story this year, I would say. Uh, Could be. I mean, their chance to get on the board early was their first game, and they did not do that. Sports Talk Mississippi will wrap up the first hour with you coming up in just a couple of minutes. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sit tight. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. This winter, skip the waiting room and beat cold and flu season faster with Ceasefire Health. Just download the app and schedule a visit to connect with a trusted UMMC clinician right from your phone to learn more. Check them out online, cspirehealth.com, 601-879-4395. Borky, I love this. From time to time, we'll get a question that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that we're talking about, but it's kind of a college football question, and I certainly appreciate those. I'm going to throw this one at you. Will a running back win the Heisman Trophy next year? Ooh, I say no. It's only because I think it's going to be a head and shoulders above everybody else battle between Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. Chuba Hubbard's coming for, back for at Oklahoma back State. Then. Speaking of head and shoulders, I would say Trevor Lawrence is probably <laughs> the front runner for that one. Yeah, Chuba's coming back at Oklahoma <laughs> State. I just I don't think they'll win enough games for him to be in contention. Najee Harris is coming back at Alabama, maybe, but. The, the hype for those two guys, and Ohio State goes to Oregon, I think, in week two, and Clemson's just going to run through their schedule as they did this past year, unless the ACC gets magically better in one offseason. So those two guys are already on the front of everybody's mind, and they will be probably the first two quarterbacks picked in next year's draft. So you have the NFL people talking about them, college football people talking about them, and they're going to win a bunch of games. I think it's a no-brainer. If you're betting right now, Money on one of those two guys. That's easy money. J.K. Dobbins will be a junior, is that right? I think he's off to the NFL. Okay, he's he's out. Okay, so this was his third year. That's right. This this was his third year at Ohio State. Is there another running back that even enters the conversation? So Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State's one. I mean, maybe Harris. Najee Harris would be one, yeah. Okay. 
But these guys have to put up monster, like stupid numbers to to, to get involved with that. And, and, and maybe then it's not like even Hubbard. Enough. Hubbard, as good as he is, isn't going to win enough games. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he'd have to go for like three thousand yards. He just put up the kind of numbers that Barry Sanders did at Oklahoma State. Very similar situation. That that you know, same team, but you'd have to put up like just crazy, crazy numbers. Yeah, I'll, if Chuba Hubbard rushes for three thousand yards, he's got my vote. Or if I had he's a win, he's got it. Winning. Next year feels like a pretty good I'll give a hot team take. that sneaks up. He's good for one of those every like half decade. Okay. Hey, Dad. I think take. I think right now, you think about the last couple of years, the Heisman Trophy winner has not been somebody we talked about prior to the season. So as much as we all love Lawrence and Fields and they're they're great players, I would be willing to bet the hot the Heisman Trophy winner is somebody we're not talking about right now. And that we don't even we wouldn't even consider stake bet. You give me Lawrence and Fields, I'll give you the field. I'm in. All right, I like it. Ooh, I like Borky's position on this. To me, the only thing that uh, he's definitely a heavy favorite, but I, yeah, I, I mean, injury is the only thing that knocks one of those two guys out of it. Yeah, I think is Kylan Hill coming back. Why is Kylan Hill taking this long to announce his decision? That was two different questions, by the way, both on the ceasefire text line. <laughs> it was two different questions. Um, the signs point to him probably coming back. He he tweeted out earlier that today's the day, as did uh, junior linebacker Errol Thompson, but nothing's official, nothing's come from Mississippi State, nothing's happened on Twitter that I've seen uh, thus far. Why would he come back? It's a good question. Uh, you know, uh, we've talked about it before about how running backs, you know, you only have so many carries in the, in, in the engine there. Um, he might just, it, it, at that point, it just feels like a personal thing. He just wants to come back, play one more year, um, you know, play in a di- very different style of offense. And in an offense that we talk about carries, he'll have less carries next year. He'll definitely have that. He'll have more catches, but less carries. Um, and, and catches give you the opportunity to, you know, Take less punishment because you can always get out of running back checkdowns easy to get out of bounds, or as opposed to a, a carry nine times out of ten, you are getting tackled. So, unless I mean, he just must really want to play his senior year. I don't know that he has his degree yet, and that maybe that's a big, big deal to him. He wants to stick around and get that. Uh, but like I said, nothing's official, but the signs are pointing towards another year of Kylan Hill, which is huge for Mississippi State because. Who do they have offensively other than Kylan Hill right now? I mean, I know some of those guys, you're going to see huge statistical gains just because of the way Leach runs this offense. But who are you going to vote all SEC other than Kylan Hill? The answer was no one. So getting him back would be big. We'll see if we'll see, you know, leaning that way, but we'll see what happens. When Kylan Hill is engaged, like when he's really locked in, he strikes me as an angry runner. Like, that's not a guy you really want to tackle when he's serious about running the football hard. I would be... If he comes back for his senior year at Mississippi State, I will be most fascinated, maybe more than anything else, to see how Mike Leach uses him in the offense to get the ball to him in space. Because Kylan Hill with a head of steam when you got to bring him down, that's not a real fun assignment for defenses. But it's not, to your point just a second ago, going to be the way we've seen Kylan Hill get his touches over the last three seasons. Three seasons, I'm sorry. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Wednesday afternoon, glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk on Super Talk Mississippi. Don't forget you can always download the show via the podcast. You can get that as an Apple podcast or Google Play. If you've got an Android phone, wherever it is you listen to your podcast, it is available for you. And you can also always go online to supertalk.fm and get the show on demand. Glad to have you along. You can text the show, ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Ceasefire experience healthcare on call with the Ceasefire Health app. Skip the waiting room and get treated by a UMMC clinician right from your phone from anywhere in Mississippi. Plus, for a limited time, visits are just $29 for Ceasefire customers. Learn more at ceasefirehealth.com, 601 879 Four three nine five. So this is not really the time of year where you expect to be talking a lot about Major League Baseball. We are inside one month until the start of the college baseball season. So a month from yesterday until first pitch of college baseball, four weeks from this Friday, we've got games all over the place. But MLB is kind of quiet. We've gotten through the hot stove league, through the winter meetings. Most of the trades have happened, kind of come and gone and you're not really thinking about MLB. But scandal has changed that in the last couple of days. Major League Baseball has handed down an incredibly harsh penalty, although some say not harsh enough, to the Houston Astros. Their manager, A.J. Hinch, and their general manager, Lunau, what was his first name? Jeff Lunho. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just made up the last name. Jeff Lunho. I think that's how you pronounce it. Lunau, Lunho, whatever. That's better than you know I would about. have done. So We're not congrats. into phonetics here. They, um, they were both suspended for a year, and the Astros were fined $5 million. But then the owner of the Astros said, yeah, it's not enough. Not serious enough. You're fired. Both of them, you're fired. Be gone. Rippy, you might have a better handle on this. Will A.J. Hinch ever manage in the big leagues again? A.J. Hinch? I'll lean yes. Alex Cora, really don't know. Because he was kind of the mastermind of all this. A.J. Hinch just, like we discussed on Monday, one of the more bizarre moves uh, that you'll see, or that I've seen in sports in a while. You know, Instead of using his words and saying stop, he uh, grabbed a baseball bat and smashed the monitor. So at least there's some like demonstrable action that he did not approve of it. It just, you know, raw violence instead of words. Wait, what did he do? It's he did not approve of what happened. Oh, you were off the show on Monday when I, I was. So it's he he didn't he knew it was going on, did not approve of it, but instead of like telling them to stop, just smashed the TV monitor on two different occasions that they were using. Okay. With a baseball bat. In the dugout? Well, in the corridor between the dugout and the clubhouse, but yeah, kind of. So when they go back in the hallway, it's to do the Steel Steins watch a video thing? Yes. Okay. Alex Cora was the bench coach with the Astros, became the manager of the Red Sox, won a World Series with the Red Sox in 2018 in his debut season as a manager, but has been linked this offseason to not just one, but two sign-stealing schemes, obviously the one with the Astros and then with the Red Sox as well. He and the Red Sox have mutually agreed to part ways. 
That's some pretty convenient wording, I think. It was, we're going to fire you or you can quit, right? Probably. I mean, if there was an actual meeting to discuss things, I don't know what leverage Alex Cora has. So, probably. Cora is 44 years old, led the Red Sox to the win over the Dodgers in five games in 2018, a year after winning a World Series as the Astros bench coach. He's awaiting discipline for Major League Baseball. I guess they can still discipline. Can they still discipline him if he's not employed by an MLB team? I guess you could ban him. Or, yeah, you could still give him a show cause, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you can't find him. He let a kid sleep on the dugout bench. He let a kid sleep on the dugout bench. Show cause him impermissible benefits. Oh. I don't know what exactly you can do, but I'm pretty sure that I mean, you can hit him with a ban, hit him with something. In the findings that were released on Monday with regard to Houston, Alex Cora is described by Commissioner Rob Manfred as being, quote, involved in developing both the banging scheme, that was with the bat, and utilizing the replay review room to decode and transmit signs. Cora participated in both schemes and through his active participation implicitly condoned the player's conduct. Why is Alex Cora doing this? To win games. Aren't there – were the Astros not good enough without this to win games? I don't think they're the only team doing it, but, yes, they were good enough. They were a better away team than they were a home team than the year that they won the World Series, and by all accounts, they were only stealing signs at home. Yeah. It seems like it would be pretty hard to set that up on the road. I, well, I mean, you couldn't have the camera out there, sure. Having cameras and like technology in the clubhouse and stuff – is not really uncommon at all. Like pitchers go in there and watch like video of stuff all the time. What well, would oh, yeah, stop them I mean, from what... putting the game broadcast on the television in the dugout on the road? I don't know if it's easier. I don't. That's a great question. I guess you could, but you know, I mean, you've got visiting clubhouse attendants and things like that, as opposed to like your home dugout and everyone being in there, kind of on your side. There are a lot of folks that said that the. Um... The punish was not severe enough for Major League Baseball. What else are you going to do? I don't really get that one. You can strip the Astros and the Red Sox of their World Series titles. Is anyone ever going to remember the Astros not winning the 2017 World Series? No. I mean, that's similar to when they told Memphis they had to take the banner down for being in the Final Four. We saw it played. And, and we debate this all the time about the whole vacated wins thing. But isn't there a little bit of difference in vacating wins and taking away a World Series trophy? It does feel different at the professional level. I don't know why it is. I think my theory, was it Monday, where largely the NCAA, people don't have a favorable opinion of them, so when they take something away, people don't like that as much as... And with vacating national championships, I mean, like Reggie Bush lost his Heisman Trophy because his family got a condo. Like, it's not because he was wearing like an illegal helmet or something. You know, I mean, they were quite literally cheating the game. They, they were giving themselves an illegal, uh, against the rules, advantage to help them win the game. Not to help them get a recruit or take care of a player's family, but within the, the action of a game, they were cheating. And it's, I think that's, that's very different than the vacated wins and stuff we talk about in college. That's fair. I just don't think it'll have, like, like I don't think it'll carry. I don't think that in the long run it'll carry much weight. Could be wrong about that. Okay, never. Well, then never mind the idea of stripping a World Series title. Why not 
make the penalties related to the draft more punitive? It's a fair question. I don't know why. It, I think first and second round picks for two years is significant. Five million dollar fine, like what, what amount of money are you going to? Well, find and, that, and that's the hurt? that's the maximum that they were allowed to find them anyway. So, like, that's a good question because they make could they make it more severe? Sure, but like, if the if a lack of forfeited draft picks is really the reason why you're saying it's not a severe enough punishment, then I guess we'll just agree to disagree. I don't really understand that, but. So, so you think it is a severe enough punishment? If it was more severe, I wouldn't be like, wow, that was too harsh by any means. But I thought it was perfectly adequate. Okay, but, 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 the, the, but, but the punishment's designed to do two things, right? One, it's designed to penalize the offender. So the Astros, and we'll see what the Red Sox get. Probably something comparable. But the other thing the punishment is supposed to do is to deter future teams from going down this road, right? I agree. I just don't know what else you're going to do. Like, are you going to make them communicate by pager or beeper or handwritten letter for an entire season? Like, you can't take technology away from them. What if you take away? You can, what if you take away all ten their first ten draft picks? I mean, that that feels like you're talking about ten in one season or first round picks for the next decade. No, 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 no. Take away the entire like slot value rounds draft this year and then take away their first five picks next year. Sure. I mean, I'm not against that. That feels a little excessive because that really sets you back for a while. Isn't that the point? Yes. I'm not... you, you put together an elaborate cheating scheme within the confines of the game to give yourself an advantage. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying Rob Manfred probably, though he's, I don't think he's a very good commissioner, probably has a better gauge of what's an appropriate punishment or not. I'm not saying you're wrong. I wouldn't be against that either. I just don't really have a problem with the punishment. Yeah. Hmm. I like stripping them of 10 rounds, though. <laughs> that probably, probably sends the message. I think that sends a pretty clear message that, okay, if you want to not have a draft for a year, and we'll take away half your draft the following year, go for it. Put put together a cheating scheme. Now, what about the, what's the difference in this and the whole unwritten rules in baseball? We'll do that next. Sports Talk Mississippi. Caleb and Olive Branch suggest take away the title along with their rings. Draft picks would hurt the team for the future over the leadership that is no longer there. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this is different than dealing with the NCAA where you go, hey, look, these kids didn't commit those penalties. Uh, you got a bunch of players on the team that were part of it. And I think you take a pretty punitive angle. But, I mean, to, to Rippy's point, I, I, like, I don't have a huge problem with the penalties one way or the other. Fire the manager, you fire the general manager. Hit the team with a fine, lose a couple of draft picks. for the, Is it two draft picks a year for the next two years? Is that right? First and second round for the next two years. So uh, Josh and Clinton says, how about a postseason ban? I thought about that, and I didn't want to sound stupid by bringing it up, but, you know, it's not a terrible idea. I mean, I... Why not just say to the Astros, you won a World Series cheating blatantly. 
Hope you enjoyed it. You're not eligible for the postseason the next two years. Because then the, why would you try? And then you said players, and then it's messing up the competitive imbalance and revenue and messing up your bottom line. Would it? Sure. You always have teams that openly tank, don't you? I mean, what's the difference? Well, they have bad players, but the Astros have good players, and they're going to choose not to play them, so it's one of their most lucrative. Why would they choose not to play them? Why are you playing Jose Altuve 150 games a year if you can't go to a postseason and win a World Series? So would you play him 130? I agree with that. I mean, I guess, but why would you play him 130? Why, why would you risk any of that? You so still have to make money as a franchise. A guy? I mean, you need people to come to your games. I guess to some degree. You're paying him. Yeah, but, I mean, again, you're also losing out on Jose Altuve, you know, Carlos Correa, all of those guys in the postseason. David says that would kill fan support, and it's all about money. Fair enough. I mean, I, I just don't see how you do that in professional sports. I, I, Like, again, if they did it, I wouldn't be like, well, they got a job there. I just I don't see how that's feasible because they want, at the end of the day, they want the Astros in the postseason. It's the third largest market in America. They've got a bunch of young stars. It was at once a likable team uh, and a fun team to watch. It really was. I mean, that's the crazy thing about it. With Carlos Correa and Altuve and Bregman... Bad dudes. Good players. That would probably have been just as good without this. So I said a second ago, yeah, the, the whole baseball thing, unwritten rules. Unwritten rules in baseball. Yeah, you can't throw it a guy's head. And if you throw a guy's head, we're going to throw it another guy's head. Whatever. Stein, uh, sign stealing. Stealing of signs is as much a part of baseball as... Cracker Jacks and Sunflower Seeds. And has been forever. But the sign stealing that we're talking about is when you've got that one guy who's a whiz on the bench who's sitting there watching the third base coach or the bench coach in the dugout giving signs and figures out what the tell is and then can somehow know when a steal's coming or when they're going to hit and run. Or you got somebody standing out at second base after getting a double or getting a leadoff single and getting to second base, peering in and trying to figure out the pattern of signs of the catcher, and then clap once for a fastball, clap twice for a breaking ball. Yeah, whatever. I, I realize that's incredibly elementary. So it's beating a trash can. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about video technology going into the dugout and then beating a trash can or banging a bat on the roof of the dugout. Was the banging a bat on the roof of the dugout part of the thing, too? No, that was Brett Gardner in New York. That was just his anger. Yeah, anyway. So you're banging out signals on a trash can so the guys can know what pitch is coming. Yeah. Come on. It's the same thing as two or three guys sitting at the end of the bench trying to figure out what the signals are from the other team. Different deal. Yeah, it's the technology. You can't use technology to steal signs. Caleb says if they keep the title and the hardware, which is what all teams want, then no other punishment is severe enough. Okay. I mean, are you going to come confiscate the ring off their finger? Stan and Ripley says the thing about stealing signs in baseball with Houston Astros, now Alex Cora has gone for the Bo Sox. I agree. 
You don't use technology to steal signs, but stealing signs without technology is perfectly legal. It's also a skill. It says, I do that for little Stan and travel baseball. I hear you, man. That's my point. It's been going on at every level of baseball forever. The thought of espionage in U10 baseball is, I'd like to see that. Would you? Did you play baseball growing up? I did. Were you sign steel guy? No. Didn't care enough? Yeah, didn't care enough. <laughs> I could have seen that being in your wheelhouse. I, I feel like that would have you gotta been... got to get on base for that to happen. Uh, I might be loose with a spike every now and again. <laughs> mm. Jesus. Aside from that, not really. Hey. Uh, Richard and Wiggins says he's not a baseball dude. He says, in, in layman's terms, what is sign stealing, and does it give that big of an advantage? I think that's how we kind of described it a second ago. I probably described it at a really elementary level, but basically, you're tipping pitches to your guys at the plate. Uh, surely they didn't think they would get caught maybe 20 years ago. Yes, the technology they used to steal signs is the same technology that busted them. Okay. Could the pitcher and catcher and a coach have an earpiece for play calling like quarterbacks and offensive coordinators? That's what you've got in college baseball now in the name of speeding up the game. Right? you got you got Mike Bianco sitting in the end of the dugout talking into the walkie-talkie, and then the signals go to the mound. Still, There are still signals, though. That is correct. Well, yeah. From catcher to pitcher. Why not cut out the middleman? Well, in professional baseball, catchers call the game. But in college, just stick an earpiece on the pitcher. Where no signs have to happen? Yeah. Give the pitcher an earpiece, the catcher an earpiece, coach calls the pitch. Everybody knows. No signals. Okay, this is probably also a dumb question, but I don't really care. Uh, what's to stop in SEC baseball right now uh, a batter leaning in to see if he can hear the, the call into the catcher's earpiece. Well, I mean, Rippy's sitting right next to me in the studio. He can't hear you talking to me through my noise-canceling ear- headphones. Yeah. Yeah, I can. Comes through mine too. Yeah. <laughs> what? Do you, I, I don't. <laughs> Thanks a lot, genius. What God, did he say? I mean, oh, Mister Little. Hey, Dad, can you help me out here? This is unbelievable. So wait, oh, wait. How in the world would a would a batter be able to hear a catcher's earpiece? I just. Uh, you want to rephrase nice. the question, Borky? Yeah, please ask that again. <sighs> if he leaned down to see if it was loud enough that he could hear it, what's stopping him from doing that? Because there are some people that don't hear as well as others. Clearly, you are one of those people. And I mean, he would they look like a doofus have... at the plate. You're going to have this guy in the squats, like, snuggling up to the catcher? I don't understand. Oh, Jesus. Okay. All right. My God. <laughs> the hardest head in the world is Brian Scott Rippey's. Like, no, I'm, I'm asking. I'm just curious. Like, like how? I, I don't see how that'd be reasonably feasible for him to hear what's coming in the catcher's earpiece. As seen on TV, Sonic Ear. <laughs> That's on the ceasefire text line. But as seen on TV. Uh, let's see. I think we have two uh, two things happening here. Um, number one, Rippy thought hey, uh, Borky's question was a bad one. 
No, no, no. I didn't understand it at first just because I assumed that there'd be no way, like, you couldn't hear him that far away in a earpiece. Yeah, I, I think ultimately that's probably the right answer. Um, But then you went sideways when I was like, yo, I mean, I was trying to diplomatically answer what Borky was saying, and you're like, I've got headphones on too. Well, your answer confused me. That's where the hang-up was, because I didn't understand the way you were, in either way. I'm sorry, this just became my fault? No, I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. I'm saying where I got the disconnect is not with what Borky was asking, is where, like, the way you answered it confused me, the question. Uh, here we go. Rippy is making perfect sense. How is a batter going to squat down and listen to the catcher's earpiece without looking obvious? But who cares? It's not about hiding the fact that you're doing it. Oh, no, no. If you get caught trying to, like, look in and steal, see the sign the catcher is giving, or in this case, squatting down and trying to listen into his earpiece, you're wearing one on the next pitch. It's fine. And the pitcher gets thrown out of the game. It's college. Sonic ear is strictly for MLB catchers and old people who can't hear. You can do it in professional baseball because the catchers call the game more often than not. Rippy thinks they have satellite dishes intercepting radio transmissions. I have wondered if you could get on like the same channel and hear what's happening. Like if you got the uh, walkie-talkie frequencies. Wonder if that's happened. Here you go. It won't work. Too easy to hack the frequency. What's already happening? You think it's happening in the SEC? Hacking the frequency or... I mean, the... Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Ryan Brown, WJOX, Jocks FM in Birmingham on your radio Right now. What's up, my friend? I'm pretty good, Richard. You doing all right? Yes. What do you think of the national championship game? Um, you know, I actually predicted forty one to thirty LSU, so it went about like well, the the final was about like I thought. I didn't think, you know, Clemson was up seventeen to seven and kinda of looked to have the upper hand and LSU was out of sorts on offense there early. That surprised me. I didn't think Clemson could have that kind of success even early, but uh, I think ultimately LSU showed they were the much better team and uh, pulled away and won it about like I thought they would. You know, I, I thought it'd be 11. It was a little more than that, but um, I, I think the score was indicative of about how much better LSU was than Clemson that night. A little cliche-ish, I guess, to ask this, so forgive me, but the whole <laughs> conversation about who LSU beat this year and where that puts them in the conversation in terms of greatest all-time. Maybe we should just allow teams to just kind of, on their own merits, they won a national championship this year where they were the best, that's good enough. But that's not really what we do. So when you look at this team historically, how do they stack up? Well, yeah, I've never seen a team do what they did. I mean, they... Half their games were against teams that were that finished, I believe, in the top 16. I don't have all these numbers in front of me. I'm trying to do these off my head. Um, they're the first team ever to beat the preseason top four in the Associated Press poll. And I saw Stuart Mandel tweet that, you know, it's not like those teams fell apart. Outside of their games against LSU, the, those top four teams, I think, were 49-3. and three. Mm. Um, you, you know, they beat um, the number nine team twice. And when you look at this, you know, to me it's important not just to talk about, okay, what were they ranked when they beat them? Well, where did they finish? 
You know, Texas was number nine when they played. They're not, Texas is not the ninth best team in the country. They're, they're okay, but they're not the ninth best team. But Auburn was number nine when they beat them. You know, Auburn's fairly close to the number nine team in the country. Alabama was number three when they beat them. Alabama's fairly close to the number three team in the country. Um, Clemson was number three. Obviously, Clemson was a little better than the number three team in the country. So, I mean, I, I think Florida was, number, I think, number seven when they beat them. They were you know, they're about the seventh best team in the country. I mean, I, I think the rankings where these teams were, when LSU beat them, you look back on it and you're like, yeah, I think that, that's a pretty good representation of where that team was. You've covered a lot of national championship games between Alabama and Auburn over the last decade or so. And so you've been to a bunch of different places, including New Orleans and the, the Superdome. Would you be opposed to the idea of co- uh, college football having a permanent home for the national championship game and that home being New Orleans? Um, I really considered it. I, yeah, no, I don't think I'd like that. Okay. Um, I, where's I, the best I mean, spot? I'm trying to remember the best stadium. I don't know. The best stadium I would say is probably a tie between Atlanta and Dallas. Uh, those stadiums are tremendous. If I know you've been to Atlanta, I don't know if you've been to Jerry World. Um, but but those those two new stadiums are just phenomenal. Um, you I know, guess the, the truth the, is the Superdome the, really, as it stands right now, and I know they're about to do four hundred and fifty million dollars worth of renovations. But the Superdome yeah. itself is kind of a dump, at least in terms of in comparison no, is, to yeah. these big mega stadiums. Yeah, it doesn't hold a candle to Jerry World or the new stadium in Atlanta, the Mercedes Benz Dome in Atlanta. Um, yeah. I've, I've been to Indianapolis. I've never been to a game at Lucas Oil, but I hear that's a tremendous stadium. Indianapolis is a really cool town. It will host it soon. You know, the, the, the traditionalist and historian in me loves, you know, the Rose Bowl's never going to host it again, apparently. They'll, they'll host the semifinal, but they really have no interest in hosting the national championship game. So, you know, I, I think that one's out. Um, I wasn't, I'm not a real big fan. I've been to a couple out in Phoenix. Alabama and Auburn have both played. I'm not a big fan of that venue. The stadium is, I just don't really care for the stadium. And uh, Glendale is, is way out. Santa Clara was a terrible idea. Um, that was out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I, you know, Miami, I like fine. I, I kind of like it moving around. I, I don't. I think I would be opposed, yes, to the idea of it always being in New Orleans. Even if they fix the dome, you just like yeah. it moving around. Period. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just like moving it around. I, I do. Okay. Um, I, I like you know just just changing up the venues. But look, New Orleans is a great host city. I mean, that it's. It's hard, I and mean, I've been to a lot of these. It's hard to find a city where I think the fans enjoy themselves more um, than in New Orleans. So, you know, I, I think that's got it going for it. But I, I do. I just like the idea of it moving around. I, I guess I prefer that. I'm not really giving it thought, though. Maybe if I thought about it a little bit longer, I would come around to your your, your way of thinking. And you, well, I, I'm not 100 percent sure where I fall on this. I just know that New Orleans is a really good event city. Another really good event it city, is. I think, is Las Vegas. I've never been there. Will the national championship game in college football ever go to Vegas? Yeah, I think it will. I mean, I, th- I think you know, as as people as gambling becomes legal in all of these states, and your your state's already there, uh, I think our state will eventually get there. I think all fifty will get there. Um, I, I think that stigma is gone, and I, I've never really understood it because it's so regulated in Las Vegas that I, I think that's the safest place to play it and avoid you know any sort of any sort of tampering in a game. Um, I've, I've never understood that stigma of not wanting to play NCAA events in Las Vegas. But once the NFL breaks the sale and has a team there, uh, and once 
gambling is legal in all of these states. I just don't. I don't know why they would keep it away from Vegas. And you're right. You know, that's an easy town to travel to. The flights are cheap. There's tons of stuff to do, and that stadium apparently is just going to be phenomenal. And I think it's right off the strip. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know. You know what the walk would be for it, but. I think it's pretty conveniently located to the strip there, so that would seem like a perfect place to play the game. Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable, WJOX in Birmingham on your radio. Not going to ask you who made the better hire. Not not going to do that because, well, RIP our mentions for the rest of the day if uh, if we do that. But <laughs> from your perspective, who made the fi- the hire that fits better? Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin or Mississippi State with Mike Leach? Yeah, that's a great way of asking the question because I think both of them actually do fit. Um, you know, the, the way I view this, and you, you, you didn't want to ask the question this way, but I'll, I'll answer it this way, is I, I think Mike Leach is the better X's and O's coach. I think historically, if you look at his record as a head coach, it's better than Lane Kiffin's record as a head coach. I think Lane Kiffin is the better recruiter. I think that's the one thing you worry about with Mike Leach is, you know, what's his dedication to recruiting in the Southeast where it is cutthroat and a 24-7 job? Is he willing to do that, something maybe he didn't have to do in Lubbock, Texas or, or in Pullman, Washington? I just always thought, look, when that job came open, I said, I, I hope Mississippi State hires Mike Leach as soon as they fired Moorhead. That's who I wanted them to hire. I think it is a like job to what he has had in Lubbock and in Pullman. It's a job that is not one of the blue blood powers of the conference he's in, but he runs a system that is a tough out week in, week out. There will be weeks where Mississippi State just completely lays an egg. And that, you know, somebody slows down that air raid, they don't have the defense they need, and they get run off the field. But I, I do think it's going to be weeks where there will be upsets. And, you, you know, you'll you'll beat teams you're not supposed to beat. I like Mike Leach, and I, I, I think fit-wise, I think because of where he has been and the success you've seen in places he's been, I think that looks like a little bit better fit. But I don't think that uh, – that's not to say I think Kiffin's a bad fit at, at Ole Miss. I think both schools made tremendous hires. So do you think the results kind of follow what he did in Lubbock and, and Pullman as well, where basically they're a 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four team every year? but you're going to have a year or two where it steps back and a year or two where it bumps up? I thought, yeah, I think that it's what you will get with Mike Leach. Here's the thing. If you look at his two best years, uh, the, the best year he had, and I, the, the years were listed, I think it was 08 in Lubbock at Texas Tech. Yeah, That was when Ruffin McNeil was his defensive coordinator. And Ruffin McNeil is a very well-respected defensive coordinator. They had a really – you know, for Texas Tech standards and Big 12 standards, had a really good defense that year. And they got in that little round robin with Texas and Oklahoma, and they missed out on the tight end of making the Big 12 championship game. And McNeil went on to take the East Carolina job. And then you look at his good year at Washington State, where he competed for the conference championship. He had Alex Grinch as his defensive yep. coordinator. The years he's had a good, solid defensive coordinator, he's competed for his league championship, uh, uh, like I said, at schools that aren't necessarily in blue blood. And the thing I'll say about Mike Leach is, He's never been able to hire a staff with the resources like he'll have in an SEC school. So, I, to me, that's the most fascinating thing to watch here is as he builds this staff out, what kind of names can he convince to join him in, in Starkville when he's paying SEC money? Um, that was hard to do in Lubbock and hard to do in Pullman because he wasn't paying you know, Oklahoma and Texas money or USC and Washington money. You know, I, I think the money is more evenly distributed in the Southeastern Conference, and 
to me, that would be the fascinating thing to see what kind of staff he's able to build when he's paying SEC money. Kind of crazy, the the tide change, the sea change in Mississippi in a month, huh? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, you know, it, it was two programs that looked like they were kind of stuck in mud and going nowhere. It's just blah. And yeah, it was just very blah. And I, I think people liked Matt Luke. I don't think people knew Joe Moorhead. I'm talking from outside now, the outside looking at. You're right. And they, they felt like Moorhead wasn't a good fit. And they felt like Luke was Mr. Ole Miss, but I don't know if he can get the job done as a coach. Yeah. And then two headlines really hires. I mean, it was two of the bigger stories in the country. And, and when can you, when you're Ole Miss and Mississippi State, I mean, it's hard to believe it's going to get better than the way Freeze and Mullen had it kicking there at the same time. But if you go back to when Freeze and Mullen, Freeze was a punchline when he was hired. And Mullen, you respected, but nobody knew a ton about Dan Mullen. Those hires didn't come anywhere close to being the big news story anyway that, that Lane Kiffin and, and Mike Leach were. Brian, always enjoy it, man. Good stuff. Look forward to talking to you soon. Richard, thanks. Have a good one, buddy. See you, bud. There it is, the official release from Mississippi State. It reads like this. The Mike Leach era is off to a solid start as Mississippi State's first-team all-conference running back Kylan Hill and top defender linebacker Errol Thompson announced Wednesday they will be returning for their senior seasons with the Bulldogs in 2020. Hey, Dad, when we talked earlier, you made it sound like this was likely to be the case. And it turns out to be the case, both Kylan Hill and Errol Thompson back next year in Starkville. Yeah, I mean, Thompson had never declared one way or the other, so it's just letting everybody know what his decision was. But, you know, Hill had actually said he was gone, so uh, makes the decision to come back to Mississippi State, and that gives MSU a real weapon to build around uh, in the first year for Mike Leach. It's going to be very interesting because, you know, like I said, Leach has never coached a back that that's rushed for as many yards as Hill did a season ago. How will he use him? How many carries will he get? How many catches is he going to have? How big of a, a part of the offense will he be? I saw, I, I didn't see all the back and forth, but I saw some back and forth with you on Twitter, I guess it was over the weekend, where basically you told somebody, if you think Mike Leach is coming in to run a different offense than the one he's run for his entire career, you're crazy. So the offense is not going to change but if you go back and you listen to Mike Leach interviews, I guess he talked about it some in his opening press conference, but there are a million interviews he's done out there where he's talked about the air raid and the concepts that go along with the air raid. And the basic, the, the most basic concept is spread your guys out and figure out a way to get your best players the ball in space. So how that looks for Kylan Hill will be very fascinating to me. Yeah. When you look at uh, Washington State in 2019, Max Borgie was their leading rusher, only 120-some-odd carries, but he had 86 catches. So he had you know well over 200 touches uh, last season. Uh, I would expect Kylan Hill to drop down. I mean, he had 200 and, I think, what, 40 carries this year. I would expect him to drop down below 200, to be totally honest with you. Um, probably closer to 150, 170. Carries or touches? Maybe. Carries. Just carries. But I expect his catches to go. He had 18 catches in 2019. I expect that to jump up to around at least 40 or 50. So you think I don't there's know a scenario a where he difference. has 150 carries in this offense? 
that's about the baseline, yeah, for the, for what you you've seen. I'm telling you, man, trying to come across, trying to wrap your head around some of these numbers for for Mike Leach, it's difficult. No, no, no. Hey, Dad, hey, Dad, you're you're misunderstanding. I think you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. I don't think there's any way he gets to 150 carries. You don't think? No. I mean, let's. I'm just looking at. For the most part, the leading rusher for him for uh, Leach has been around 110, 120 carries. I think you can find another 30 carries for Kylan Hill. But we'll see. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I know. Sorry, bad radio. Trying to think through something, and as opposed to just talk. I mean, a hundred and fifty to me is assuming a healthy for thirteen games, Kylan Hill. Yeah, we're talking about like twelve carries a game. It's hard to believe we're talking about Kylan Hill not getting twelve carries a game, but because of the way this offense works. I guess it's possible. Yeah. You know, it was funny. Obviously, I've watched LSU a bunch this year. But mm-hmm. watching them in person, and I sat in the uh, in the 400 level. So you've got the lower bowl in the Superdome, and then you've got the, the overhang level. So we were at about the eh, goal line, five-yard line, something like that, in the second level. It was really a great viewing angle to watch stuff unfold and whatever. The number of times that LSU went empty, five wide, where the widest wide receiver on one side of the field was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, was staggering. It happened over and over and over and over and over. I wonder if it could look like that some for Kylan Hill. Not where he's just catching balls out of the backfield, but where he is legitimately lined up as a wide wide receiver. Wouldn't be surprised by that, to see him, especially at the, in, in a slot position. I think he can be a mismatch for some teams. Um, and State, State's wide receiver situation is so interesting because there's just not a lot of talent there. No, no way around it. Plus, you know, with Mullen and Moorhead, there's a lot of tight ends on this roster. So how do they get used? They're going to have to become wide receivers, basically. Can they do that? So a lot of questions to be answered. Uh, between now and, uh, and August. But stay got, getting Kylan Hill back is, is certainly a good thing for Mississippi State. You sticking and holding on to the idea of Marcus Murphy moving to the offensive side? Or you think that's just... I think eh, somebody's going to move. Murphy, Jerry and Jones, somebody's moving. Is that a sacrifice you can make on the defensive side? I, I guess when the head coach is an offensive guy, it is. Yeah, make that sacrifice. Yeah. Two hours in the books with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. College Football Fix coming your way next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget you can download the show as a podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, it's always available to you online. If you missed anything, at supertalk.fm on demand. Time right now for the College Football Fix. 
College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. But don't stop there. Find out about Ford's SUVs that are made like SUVs. On-demand four-wheel drive. Versatile. Oh, they're good. You get the Expedition. You can get the Explorer Test Drive 1 at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. All right, let's circle back. We were talking about it just a few minutes ago. Kylan Hill is coming back to Mississippi State for his senior season. Errol Thompson is as well. Hey, Dad, we talked a second ago kind of about the impact of Kylan Hill because it's obviously a program that is now going to have its identity on the offensive side of the ball. What does Errol Thompson mean in your mind for Mississippi State in terms of defense? Well, with losing Willie Gay and Leo Lewis, I mean, you didn't want to lose all three of your starting linebackers, so having him back is, is a big deal. Uh, leading tackler on the team. Uh, I'm interested to see, you know, I don't know what kind of defense State's running right this second, so it's difficult to say a, ho- a whole lot about it. But, you know, you saw Thompson sort of take a step back last year, but that's just not too big of a surprise when you consider that the year before he had Jeffrey Simmons in front of him just eating up everything in, in, in terms of, of blockers, and that allowed Thompson to, to make a lot of big plays. This year, you know, with, with Lee Autry being out as part of the suspensions, two redshirt freshman defensive tackles, he took a step back. But he played well towards the end of the season, and he was part of that defense that played well when they were all together. So, you know, again, you, you never suffer when talented football players want to be on your team. So this is it's a good thing for Mississippi State. But like I said, also, I'm, I'm interested to see. I don't know what kind of defense they're going to run. So where what how does Thompson fit into that? That I don't know. You don't know what kind of defense they're going to run because you don't know who the defensive coordinator is at this point. So when you hear names floating around, is there a name that stands out for you? You know, now it seems like the uh, the initial uh, buzz of some big names like Charlie Strong and Randy Shannon sort of has, has died off a little bit. Um, you know, the Bateman guy from North Carolina, veteran coach, uh, has done well in the past. Ryan Walters is a very intriguing, you know, young coach. Um, you wonder how much input Barry Odom had on the defense at Missouri, but that defense was a lot better last year uh, than it was the year before. And, and there's a lot of talk that he's a bright, you know, one of these young up and comers uh, coming from Mississippi State. Ron Roberts' name has been brought up a couple times. Who's the defensive coordinator at Louisiana, which would be sort of funny if Louisiana's defensive coordinator came. The head coach didn't want to. Um, and he's but, a you know, former head coach guy. at. Is Delta it ULM? State? He was at Delta Where? State, wasn't he? Delta. Ron Roberts? I'm Poor pretty sure. Louisiana right. schools. If only we had a device, Richard. We could yeah, tell you all about this kind of stuff. Um, I'm 100% sure that was you. Uh, it may have been. Anyway. He was at Delta State, 2007. He was at Southeast. He was at CELA. Southeastern Louisiana. Hammond High, the head coach. They call there. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Long story short, it seems like you know Walters is the, sort of the wild card to me because he's the younger guy. The other two are, are veterans, but I know that what we've been hearing and what people are saying is that Leach is going to hire this guy, and then that's his side of the ball. Leach is going to keep keep away from it. So, you know, not only is that coordinator going to be a, a big big deal, but you know who does he bring with him? Who does he retain? There's still been a talk a lot that Tony Hughes is going to be one of those guys that gets to stick around. Would Terrell Buckley be a guy who sticks around? I don't know, but that's that staff on that side of the ball is going to be you know key the same way that Leach's staff on his side of the ball will be. I thought what Ryan Brown said earlier 
really was interesting. Ryan joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team when he pointed out that the best year that Mike Leach had at Texas Tech, the 11-win season in 08, was with Ruffin McNeil as his defensive coordinator, Ruffin McNeil, who's thought highly of. Best year that he had at Washington State a couple of seasons ago when they won 11 games, Alex Grinch as his defensive coordinator. Obviously, Grinch has done a good job and is now the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. That's fascinating, and I think that that points to the importance of this hire. Yeah, it's it's going to be key. Uh, Leach is going to handle the offense. That's his side of the ball. He's got to get somebody that you know not only that he that he trusts, but that he feels doesn't need oversight. So it, that that's why when you when we talk about those three names we just mentioned, the veteran guys sort of stand out to me. I could end up being wrong on that, but it seems like he would hire a guy who has been doing this long enough that he that probably doesn't need as much oversight than Walters, who's who's a little bit younger coach. Um, but that said, yeah, I, I fully expect it to be. Sort of similar to what, you know, you think about Mullen's tenure at State. He, he always had a hand in the defense, and that's why he burned through defensive coordinators. The rest of us burned through bottled water. Uh, then finally he hires Todd Grantham, and I think Grantham, his personality made it pretty evident that was going to be his side of the ball, and Mullen could just stay on, on offense. And what happened? State had its best defense under Dan Mullen uh, with that season. So, And I think, you know, Moorhead was sort of the same way with Shoup. He let... Shoop run his scheme and, and for the, and, you know, obviously in 2018, it was incredibly successful. Last year, not so much, but there, there are extenuating circumstances to that. So I, I think that's the best setup. You have an offensive minded head coach who hires a defensive coordinator who lets him do his job. That to me is always a winning formula. Borky, a couple of other news items in the college football world. Clemson's T. Higgins has declared for the NFL draft. You're going to have some pretty good wide receivers in this draft class. Yeah, and the Saints are finally going to have to not trade picks to get a guy that they want because they need a receiver. I think that's the position of most desperate need, and there's a ton of them. So, uh, I mean, maybe even have a guy like Higgins available at 24, which is a really big deal uh, for me. LSU is going to have an extremely talented roster next year. And it may be as talented as it was this year, but they're going to lose some faces, probably on both sides of the ball. Uh, Grant Delpit, who, to be perfectly honest, had a season that was less than what people expected from him this year, but he was still really, really, really good. He's headed to the draft. Do we know of anybody else at this point from LSU? Has anybody else announced? Uh, there has been a few. Queen, the linebacker, and that was one that uh, people thought, uh, or at least around there, uh, that would be able to, or they'd be able to keep. Um, and he was really good. Probably had his best game ever uh, in the national championship game. He's gone. Defensive MVP. Uh, Shadik Charles is gone. Uh, the offensive tackle who was suspended for six games this year. Um, ooh, let's see. Jacob Phillips. Their well, linebacker also Lloyd declared. Cushenberry is gone. Uh, Cushenberry has gone. And I think that is all six so far. Okay. It might be take less time just to tell you who's staying. Uh, Justin <laughs> Jefferson also gone. There's another one. Yeah. Yeah. The season he had. The most recent in the line of Jefferson's. And uh, Ed Ogeron said not too terribly long ago, if there was another one, he'd absolutely recruit him as well. Absolutely. And you wouldn't blame him for that uh, if he did. 
Um, Rippy, you'll like this. Bobby Petrino got a job. Bobby Petrino back in Missouri State has hired the 58-year-old. He will be introduced tomorrow morning at a news conference in Springfield, Missouri. 77 and 35 in two stints at Louisville. Overall record of 119 and 56. Part of the 2007 season as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. All around good guy, too. Am I a Bobby Petrino stand? <laughs> Do what now? Am I a Bobby Petrino stand or something? Why would I like that? I, you know. Just thought you might. Did you did you see how they handle the motorcycle that, guy Rippy is? That is true. That, that you a big somehow, motorcycle guy? Yeah, I got a couple. What's your favorite? Did you see where uh, the two wheeled one? Mm-hmm. Sorry, hey Dad, go ahead. Did you see where I guess it got leaked somehow football scoop said that Art Browse was taking that job. So how do, how do you make a Bobby Petrino higher palatable? You leak that it's Art Bryles. It's a good point. <laughs> and then everyone's like, oh, well, at least it wasn't Art Browse. Calculated. It's a good PR department right there. That's smart thinking. <sighs> he hasn't been good lately. Like, there's a. You hire guys, I mean, people will always get jobs if they're good enough football coaches to a certain degree. I mean, James Franklin, for example, got a promotion after the scandal at Vanderbilt. But Petrino got fired because he was awful at Louisville. But to be fair, before the two and eight season, he got fired. Nine wins, eight wins, nine wins, eight wins, and it is Missouri State. Yeah, I just I wonder. I mean, is it really worth it? Are you getting a coach that's going to win you a bunch of games for two hundred and fifty k and nothing but bad press when there will be no press after tomorrow? Yeah, unless they just go crazy in terms of winning, in which case they will be happy with the press. Also. Joe Moorhead, new offensive coordinator of the Oregon Ducks in the Pac-12. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, it is time for On This Day. This moment in sports history is brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis, and more. And it's easy. No incisions, no scars, no downtime. Go back to work the very same day. Need more information? Contact Acoustic Wave today online at AcousticWaveMS.com or you can give them a call. 855-563-6100. That's 855-563-6100 for Acoustic Wave. Borky, is this really a sports moment or is it a cinematic moment? Uh, It's both. On this day in sports history in 1999, Varsity Blues was released in theaters. It's described as a 1999 American coming-of-age sports comedy drama film directed by Brian Robbins that follows a small-town Texas high school football team and their overbearing coach through a tumultuous season. Domestic box office gross revenue of $52 million against the $16 million budget, so it was profitable despite receiving mixed critical reviews. Wait, there were people that didn't like Varsity Blues? Man, if you look at the the critic reviews on some of like the all-time great comedies, 
being a movie critics yeah caddyshack got roasted by the critics and it still holds up to this day have anyone ever read a movie critic website i don't ever you consider that when i go to a movie at all i will look at the the audience review score on rotten tomatoes guy on rotten tomatoes is not determining whether i go to the theater or not. yeah that's fair Hey, Dad, is uh, is Varsity Blues a good high school football movie or the best high school football movie? I'm trying to think. I, I'm not, I, this may come across as heresy. I am not a huge Remember the Titans fan. So I'm kind of with you. Well, the I think the movie's great, I, but when you dig deep we on are this, the Titan. Yeah, it, right. The, the story when you look at the was, history, it, it is not even yeah. close. I listened to the rewatchables on that, and it's 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 pretty damn damning. Uh, the best high school football movie. It's either that or or the Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights, the movie. Hmm. About the scene where they're at the uh, diner the next morning. These kids are just running around wild these days. Them kids last night they stole a cop car. No. Yes, them boys have been exposing themselves. Exposing themselves. Yes! <laughs> I can't read the rest of the quote. I forgot it all. I can't read the rest of it, though. And then Bud Kilmer goes, My boy's causing some problems. <laughs> Good mooning, boys! Good mooning! Rippy. You've seen it, right? Yes, I've seen this movie. I like it. You like it? A lot? Strip club scene's an (laughs) all-timer. That's not the big scene, though, from the movie. No. No, it's not. No, it is not. (laughs) When they walk out of the strip club and, like, the sun's coming up and their eyes... (laughs) Kilmer gets so mad at Moxon. (laughs) I like the can on the head part, probably the best scene. The throwing the football, the just smokes him, knock it off my head. <laughs> well, and the thing and is, the it's a carryover just, scene too. Sure, and then the dad's just general disposition towards his somewhat exotic son. Yeah, exotic. really. I mean, because when you transition later and what? after he's thrown the ball at the mascot on the sideline to clock it, which by the way is the worst. I mean, come on. Everybody clocks it by spiking the football, and yet Jonathan Moxon wants to throw it a mascot. <laughs> but when he drills the guy, knocks him off the horse, and the dad kind of reaches up as his nose, and he's like, huh, oh, okay. Ten! How many Ten! Time? Sorry, How many times has, we, have we, has anybody said, I don't want your life in your life? I've said it many times. Have you? Oh, yeah. It's a great comeback. The hard work of so many. Sacrificed by the disrespect of so few. Kilmer, he's he's cast perfectly, though, isn't he? Oh, of course. The coach? Oh, yeah. John Voigt, yeah. That's a beautiful casting job. Beautiful. On this day, 1999, Varsity Blues in theaters. Spectacular. Now, there are probably some that go, okay, hold on. I thought Richard didn't watch movies, and now he is 
waxing poetic about the spectacular nature of uh, of Varsity Blues. Hey, look, man, you like what you like. You've watched two movies in your life, Varsity Blues, apparently, and Karate Kid. No, there's one more. Top Gun. Top Gun. Borky, don't you look like the kid from Karate Kid? Uh, yeah. You know. How would you know? <laughs> oh, man, if I grow up I mean, looking like that, dude, I'll be all right. I, I mean, he, he's... Uh, yeah, my he was wife, yoked. Yeah. So, like, if I start working out again, which uh, is probably not likely, uh, I'm okay. Where did I see the uh, the sensei from Karate Kid? I saw him in an advertisement. Martin yeah, Cove. Like, uh, yeah, he's doing something. Something where uh, I, I forget what it, what it's for though. Hold on, let me see if I can find it. But I oh, saw he it too, looks just, terrible. It's for QuickBooks. It's for QuickBooks. Have you seen him? So, so you've seen the ad. Yeah, well, I mean, he's on Cobra Kai, too. Okay, see, I haven't gone back and watched Cobra Kai. Should I? Yeah, it's good. It can be your fourth movie you've ever seen. That's a Cobra Kai is a TV show. Ah, Borky. Wasn't that like on YouTube Red or something like that? YouTube TV? Yeah, exactly, yeah. YouTube Red? I think that's what it was called. It's a premium YouTube service, which is separate from YouTube TV. That's right. There are three different types of YouTube now. Hmm. What 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 joke are you about to make no, over there? I'm not. I'm not. No, it looks like you had a, a joke there churning. Oh, I know what he was about to say. No, I don't. I don't have anything. Oh to say. man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you want to be part it's of the conversation? You, you can. One. <laughs> on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Richard M. Wiggins says he's like 70, talking about the sensei. Uh, apropos of nothing, I, I don't even know what this means. This text come in, all it says is whipped cream bikini. It says nothing. I have no idea what that means. No, that's not uh, true. Here's you one. Know exactly what that means. Ten! Ten! Somebody suggests radio in terms of an all-time high school football movie. May he rest in peace. May he rest in That's peace. That's a good one. And, I mean, that that movie is far realer than Remember the Titans, if that's even the right way to put it. that The relationship and the affiliation with the team, it took a little bit longer than just one season. And it's Hollywood. You have to condense it to a season. But by and large, the movie is kind of how it worked out in real life. Hmm. I got to play against T.L. Hanna when I was in high school, and, and he was there. I mean, just like you would think that he was. He was there on the sidelines in the concession stands, talking to people, shaking Hold hands. On Hold on a second. You, you played against the school that had radio? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It was Are really, really cool. the Yellow Jackets? The T.L. Hanna Yellow Jackets. Anderson, South Carolina. Who won? We did. They actually they were really bad, with the exception of a middle linebacker named Jake Nicolopoulos, who was going to go to Clemson, uh, but uh, actually he had he had a stroke because he was juicing. Um, but they honored his scholarship anyway, and let him go to school there. Rudy says, "Good catch, Rippy. Very professional." What? He knew where you were headed. I, I don't even know where I was headed. Cody in Guntown says, you haven't seen Forrest Gump? 
oh, okay, it was a bit of an exaggeration about me having seen only three movies. It's not a big movie guy. Uh, Cody also says the best football movie is Waterboy, and you can't tell me otherwise. Water sucks. Really, really sucks. Do you see? Have you guys seen uh, Uncut Gems yet? No, not yet. I thought it was bad. You didn't like it? No. I kept waiting for it to be like cooler, and it was just the same surface level story the entire time. Chris, uh, Chris Russo, uh, Mad Dog from Mike and the Mad Dog back in the day, he did a review of it. He said the language is horrible. You know, Mike is in the movie. I know. He said Mike's scene was great, but uh, the rest of it was bad. He thought Mike's scene was great, but the language was bad. Yep. Well, basically, it's an interesting. His review. Sandler said if they didn't get any Oscar nominations, which they did not, he would on purpose make the worst movie ever made. So we've got that to look forward to. Billy Bob cried because Billy Bob is a crier. Tweeter drank beer because, well, Tweeter drinks beer. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be back. We can can put to rest the notion that OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr., that is, um, was giving out fake money on the uh, field postgame to players from LSU. Why, Why can we put that to rest? Because Joe Burrow said it was real money. Wait. <laughs> you know, OBJ gave me some cash. Uh, hold on one second. What? You mean to tell me that the multimillionaire superstar athlete was not carrying around fake money? Yeah, now, and Joe Burrow basically sense, said, uh, what do I care? I'm a former student athlete. <laughs> Good for him. That's exactly the right answer. I can't believe LSU just lied about this. Do you think people would do that? Just just go on the internet and tell lies? Well, see, or, they've got. Or, a, did you say there was an update? Oh, just that that they LSU released a statement, uh, just acknowledging. Well, the statement's hilarious because they said, uh, "Well, it may be possible that some of the money was not fake." Oh, so you think he had mixed uh, reels and fakes <laughs> in together? I mean, that's well, truly. I, I saw somebody could, the point ones out, that were pink was, weren't real. Yeah, maybe it was even on the text line yesterday, or maybe it was somewhere else that, um, okay, this has gone from LSU saying he's giving out fake money to people being uh, remembering that the Secret Service was at the game in full force, and now we have a current NFL star dealing in counterfeiting. <laughs> uh, well, they bear- they ruined themselves. The people at LSU have got to be pissed off, though, because, number one, Odell Beckham Jr. was... Oh, you said a swear word. Get us in trouble. No, he didn't. It's okay. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. was a clown uh, on the field, obviously, with CNN cameras rolling, giving money to players, but the way he was acting in the locker room and stuff. um, Now they have to deal with this crap. And now they lied about it, which dug their hole even deeper when Joe Burrow, half drunk, goes on a podcast and says, yeah, it was real money because we all knew it was real money. And why does he care? He's about to go make millions in the NFL anyway. But imagine being the people at LSU today. We finally win a national championship. Not finally, but we win a national championship. People are talking about the greatest team ever. And instead, we've got to deal with probably the NCAA in some capacity, probably a small one. And Odell Beckham Jr. acting like a clown on national television, handing our players money. And on top of that, our quarterbacks telling the most uh, listened to sports podcast in the world that the money was real after we told everybody it was fake. 
By the way, Joe Burrow went on, pardon my take, as did Ed Ogeron, on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Said that he had slept for 45 minutes. (laughs) He said, I have no idea where we went after the game last night. Don't ask me. It's not that I wouldn't tell you. I just, I I don't know. Said, who are you with? I, I don't know. Did people mob you? I I don't remember. Okay, it was that kind of a night. Yeah. And hey, he's older. It really than was Lamar kind of Jackson, funny, by the so. way. But Borky, they, they they went on to say, "Well, what are you going to do to get ready for the draft?" He's like, "I'm going to party for another week or so here. Then I'm going to go home and party for a week or so, and then I guess I'm going to go to California and start throwing the football around a little bit." He's like, "But I mean, let's be real." It's not like I got to do much at the combine. Man, he could show up to the combine 15 pounds overweight, and he's still going number one. They asked him if LSU would beat the Bengals. He said no comment. He said no comment. Oh, jeez. Oh, uh, and, and the answer is no. The Bengals would beat them by 40 points. That. <sighs> Tell that to Joe Burrow, man. Yeah, he will. He'll learn quickly that the NFL is different than than college, and he'll be very because, good there too. But. He admitted that they he, they had him on after the Heisman, and they were trying to remind him how just how high his floor was at this point. That worst case scenario, he just opens a restaurant that sells crappy bar food in Baton Rouge and adds EAUX on the end, and he's set there. Yeah. like floor for him is pretty good. They, they ask him uh, in the interview, they're like, "Hey, have you thought about the fact that you're about to be really rich?" He's like, "Yes, yes, I have." <laughs> It's a little refreshing because the canned answers. I'm, you know, I'm not really thinking about that. You know, it's a, you know, great opportunity to have a chance to go and make a good living. And blah, blah. he's like, I'm about to have a million times more than I have right now. So there you go. It's pretty sweet. I'm gonna buy a new car, probably a house, among other things. Yeah, lots of other things. Much nicer. Well, he's courts. got a he's got a nice head start with whatever C notes that. Uh, OBJ slipped him. Yeah. Though he might have spent all that that night. You see where uh, Skyline tw- Chili tweeted at him, like, welcome to Cincinnati, and he has openly on Twitter many times said how much he despises Skyline Chili. As he mm. should, because it's terrible. I cannot it's imagine. Very average. I had, like, two within, like, literally a fourth of a mile from me, and, like, everyone, like, you have to have this strong stance on it. It's almost like uh, like the first take of food. It's like Raisin Cane's. Like, I thought it was very just five out of ten. I was like, yeah, I would eat this, but like, what else on their menu? Is it just like bowls of chili, or is, are we talking like chili cheese dogs? I mean, it, you could get a four way or a chili cheese or a coney. What's a four way? It's like it's basically chili on top of spaghetti with cheese. And I think a three ways without cheese. I think I have that right. I don't know. Okay, that sounds no no bueno. And it's their staple. It's like when you come to Cincinnati, you have to have plain spaghetti noodles with plain chili. And a bunch of cheese on top because that has that's chocolate the, in it. Well, I did all three what the, you're supposed to do in that city. I had Skyline, I had Grater's ice cream, and I went and checked out where they shot that gorilla. So I kicked off <laughs> every single place <laughs> off the bucket list in Cincinnati, and it was awesome. R.I.P. Harambe. They had a little like uh, <laughs> they they had like an entire exhibit. I don't understand. If we're really going to get off the rails here. Is how they, they have onion rings too? I, I don't. I, no, they, they have these weird little like. like so they get some things. cheese fries looking things. The cheese fries are good. I had those once. Yeah, but the best part about it is if you go get a coney like late night or whatever, it's like three bucks. 
They have a chili cheese sandwich. What? Gross. I don't even know what that is, but gross. Come on. It's like there's some salads and some burritos. Chili doesn't go in a sandwich. Oh. Chili doesn't necessarily go on top of spaghetti either, but. Imagine Burrow. It doesn't go on top of spaghetti. Imagine him going from, even though he only spent two years there, like just the culinary excellence that is Louisiana and then going to Cincinnati. I know he's from Ohio, but having to go to Cincinnati and you're stuck with plain noodles with chili on top. Mm. Man, just looking at pictures of chili cheese conies right now makes me just pine for the varsity. (laughs) Here we go with the varsity again. Are we going to hit the varsity every day at SEC Media Days in Atlanta this year? Are you going there every day for lunch? No, not every day. I'll go twice, though. Tex says spaghetti chili sandwiches rock. What are you into? Uh, Somebody said we had chili cheeseburgers back in the day. A chili cheeseburger is totally acceptable because there's meat. There's there's a burger patty in there. Chili on bread doesn't make sense. Hmm. Yeah. But it's a hot dog. What is? The chili cheese sandwich is a hot dog? No, no, no. They have a chili cheese sandwich on the menu. I just oh, looked it up a second ago. I don't know about that. That's no, I mean, the chili is. is the meat. That seems like I a I thought they were calling a hot mess. dog a sandwich, and then I was going to have a second problem with them. Yeah, I can kind of see that coming down the track. Hey, let's... Uh... We, we don't really have time to do this, and certainly not to do it justice. A, a story of this magnitude... Luke Keekley retiring from the NFL, 28 years old, $63 million in career earnings. His quote, there's only one way to play this game since I was a little kid. Play fast, play physical, play strong. And at this point, I don't know if I'm able to do that anymore. That's the part that is the most difficult. I still want to play, but I don't think it's the right decision. I thought about it for a long time. Now is an opportunity to step away with what's going on here. Obviously talking about the change in coaching staff. And I don't think that's a shot at Matt Rule at all. I think he just looks at it as there's a lot of change happening. This is a time for me to make a clean break. And it's probably more so health-related than anything else. 2013 NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Seven games missed due to concussions between 2015 and 2017. I don't think there's any question that this is about head injuries and concussions and the long-term effects of them. And I think Luke Keekley is a, a bright guy and a guy, I think Borky pointed this out earlier, that sees a lot of opportunity in his future. Made $56 million in his career. I looked it up last night, so he's probably okay. I've seen SportsCenter said 63 last night, but whatever. 50 to $60 million. I mean, if he has been reasonably smart with his money... A significant amount of money still exists for him. And he can probably do whatever he wants to for the rest of his life within reason. Not to mention, you know, marketable television career if he's interested in that. Business opportunities. And again, he's not the first to do this. You've seen it with Andrew Luck. His was health-related, but probably not concussion-related. Saw it with Patrick... Uh, Willis a few years back as well. Patrick Willis looks great. <laughs> looks like he could play right now. But he's healthy, and he feels good, and he's enjoying life. 
Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.